last week we continued our Jesus Storybook series, and we were introduced into the idea of sin, or sin, it's missing the mark. There's a, a place that we should hit, like a mark that we should hit, like a marksman wants to hit the, the center of the bullseye, uh, but sometimes you miss the mark, and, and you miss that center of the bullseye the way things were perhaps supposed to be. And we, we talked about how it was taking the good things that God had created and bringing them in a direction that God didn't really intend. And we used the phrase, perhaps you remember it, perhaps you don't, uh, people don't sin for the hell in it, but for the heaven. We saw how Adam and Eve saw, looking at the fruit, they saw that the fruit looked good for food, something that they needed. They saw it was pleasing to the eye. There was goodness in it. It was beautiful. It was pleasing. It was something they wanted to look at. And they found out via the serpent that it was something that would give them wisdom. And so because of those perceived good things that they saw, they, they went ahead and they, they ate of the food. Though there was that good in it, it was still, though, breaking the commandment of God. Missing the mark. I find that phrase something that's helpful for me because oftentimes if I look at others, I, I think about, well, how could they do that? But in reality, I need to, to flip that phrase back on me. Where are the areas in my life where I'm perhaps deceiving myself and saying, hey, this is really a sin even though I see that this I'm focusing on this good aspect on it. Right, seeing the intention that I had rather than the sinful behavior. If you didn't check out last week, go onto the podcast, the YouTube channel. If you're already there, you're already on Facebook, you can feel free to check it out after today or whenever. Uh, and if you're still in need of a Jesus Storybook Bible, reach out to Mindy uh, via her email address, mindy at princetoncrc.org, or the office email address, which is office at princetoncrc.org, and we'd love to get you a copy in some way. Today we're moving to a, a story that we find in most every children's story Bible. You find it all over the place. You find it in a lot in most curriculums for Sunday school. You find it in nurseries painted on the wall sometimes i don't i don't it's not we don't have any murals but sometimes in nurseries you'll see a mural of this boat and animals coming out in a rainbow right and i think the reason we see it all over the place is because it's a story that is all over the place there's actually over 200 different stories about global floods around the world not directly from the bible there's there's even one from uh, the Babylonians from the 18th century B.C. called the, the Gilgamesh Epic where someone builds a structure. I won't call it a boat because it was actually a cube. I don't know how well that would do in the water and rough seas. It might toss and turn, uh, but uh, it, was, it was one of the, one of the ways. Uh, we've seen other stories too. I've heard of other ones. In Hawaii, there's a story about a family. I don't remember his name but he builds a big canoe that fits a house on it for animals and his family, and a flood comes, and only his family and those animals 
are saved. There's other stories as well in, in Greece and in China that focus on a large-scale flood in the world. But we're going to focus on the one that's in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Ironically, not ironically, I remember this last week, I actually had a 1980s video game about this story. Uh, it was a Nintendo NES, that's the entertainment system, that's the oldest one that you could get, the first Nintendo. And I had a Bible Adventures game with this story where you were the character Noah. But there was one difference in this is that Noah had to go gather the animals. So you were like running through the jungle and you needed to pick them up and you'd carry them on your head and you'd bring them to the ark. Looking at it a little bit different way and oftentimes what we'll find, and even with the Jesus Storybook Bible that we'll hear in a moment, there are some things that we put in these stories that perhaps are not actually in Scripture. All right, so let's, uh, without any further ado, let's read it from the Jesus Storybook Bible today. Time passed and many people filled the earth. Everyone everywhere had forgotten about God and were only doing bad things all the time. God's heart was filled with pain when he had heard what had happened to the world that he loved. Everywhere was disease and death and destruction, all the things that God hates the most. Now Noah was God's friend, which was odd in those days because nobody else was. Noah listened to God. He talked to God. He just loved being with God like you do your best friend. Noah, God said. Things have gone wrong. People have filled my world with hate instead of love. They're destroying themselves and each other in my world. I must stop them. First, we'll build an ark. Do you know how to build an ark? Neither did Noah. Luckily, God knew and he would show him. A storm is coming, God told Noah, but I will rescue you, I promise. I'll send the animals to you. Ones that creep and crawl and slither and slime and gallop and hop and bound and climb. And don't you forget to pack everyone's food. The storm was going to wash away all the hate and the sadness and everything that had gone wrong and make the world clean again. God had thought up a way to keep Noah safe, but Noah would have to trust God and do exactly what he told him. So Noah built an ark. Very short for a large boat. Noah's neighbors came out to watch and point and laugh because they didn't believe Noah about the boat or the storm or needing to be rescued. If you're reading in your NIV, there's no mention of neighbors, by the way, right? That's one of the areas where we, we add in things that, that maybe we think was taking place when seeing someone do something as odd as build a boat in a desert. And Noah must have looked rather silly. His boat was in the desert. The desert was nowhere near the sea, and there wasn't even a cloud in the sky. Would anyone need an umbrella, let alone a boat? But Noah didn't mind so much what other people thought. He minded what God thought. So he just did what God told him to do. When the ark was ready, God said, All aboard! And Noah's family and all the animals climbed inside. Then God shut 
the door and it started raining. For minutes that joined into hours, that joined up into days, that joined up into weeks and weeks. And the rain joined up into puddles, that joined up into rivers, that joined up into lakes, that joined up into a flood that covered the whole world. Their boat that had once seemed so big suddenly seemed very small, but in the middle of a huge storm and the crashing waves and all the thunder and lightning, through it all, God was with them. And he kept them safe for 40 long days and 40 long nights. Finally, the rain stopped. The sun came out and Noah threw open the windows. Hooray! Everyone shouted. Noah sent his dove out to explore, and it wasn't long before she brought him back a fresh olive leaf. Everyone knew exactly what that meant. She had found a tree in land. The water was going down. At least the at last the, the boat landed quietly on the, the or quite suddenly on the top of a great mountain. As soon as it was safe, God said, Out you come. So they did, everyone skipping and dancing onto dry land. The first thing Noah did was to thank God for rescuing them just as he promised. And the first night that uh, and the first thing that God did was to make a promise. I won't ever destroy the world again. And like a warrior who puts away his bow and arrow at the end of a great battle, God said, see, I've hung my bow up in the clouds. And there in the clouds, just where the storm met the sun, was a beautiful bow made of light. It was a new beginning in God's world. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again, but God wasn't surprised. He knew this would happen. That's why before the beginning of time, he had another plan, a better plan. A plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it. A plan to one day send his own son, the rescuer. God's strong anger against the hate and sadness and death would come down once more, but not on his people or his world. God's war bow was not pointing down at his people. It was pointing up into the heart of heaven. As we go through this story, not just the story of Noah, but the story of Scripture, we see how after Adam and Eve sin, after they miss the mark, people become more and more and more prone to doing the same thing. If we would have read some of the in-between chapters, we would have read about how Adam and Eve's own children participated in that. How one of their sons took the life of his brother, Cain, killing Abel out of jealousy. God took notice. Humanity continued to to miss the mark and God, he noticed. And then we get to this chapter, Genesis chapter 6. Verse 5 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of humans' thoughts 
or of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. All the thoughts of the human heart were only evil, evil all the time. Notice what's in that passage. Sin was so deep within the hearts of people. It's not just the actions that were sinful, but it's the intentions. It's not just what they were doing, but it was what they were thinking. Sinful actions and intentions and the thoughts. And it, it wasn't just this, this thing that came up every once in a while. Like, you know, maybe one time a year someone would do something bad. A thought would, would be misplaced. An intention would be incorrect. An action would be upsetting. Sin wasn't sporadic. Instead, it was all, all the time. All intentions. All thoughts. Evil. All the time. People's very hearts had been corrupted. There wasn't really anything left that was good, it seemed. And the corruption of people's hearts grieved the heart of God. He was grieved when Adam and in Adam and evil sinned and did evil. And he continues to be grieved each and every moment when sin and evil were at the heart of people, in the heart of people. He grieves that presence of evil, that deprivation of good. He grieves that it has overtaken that good creation. So we talked about two weeks ago how God created everything with intention, with reason. And He sat back and said, this is very good. But it wasn't very good anymore. If you look at verse 6 in your Bible, and the Lord regretted that He made man on earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. There's two words in there that have often been difficult for people to know what to do with. That God regretted, and He grieves. That God regretted that He had made man on the earth. Because what we do is we typically think about how we regret doing something. A simple example, a little over a year ago, Emily and I desired to get a new family vehicle that was one that had less than 200,000 miles on that we could take to go visit family in Wisconsin and Iowa, something that fit the family that would allow us to travel well and we made a decision based on the, the information that we had, so we bought a six-passenger vehicle, and a month later, I regretted that decision because we found out we were pregnant with our fifth child and had nowhere to put her, and we weren't going to be the people that decided which child do you leave behind when you go travel. We were going to take them all with us. Though we probably selfishly said, hey, you can take all five children and I'll stay home, right? But we regretted maybe that decision. That's not really what we're getting at here, though. 
Regret isn't sorrow for like making a choice here in, in when we think about God doing this. When we think about these words, regretted and grieved, they're used other places in the Old Testament and there's ten different definitions or translations that we get from those areas. Which, which perhaps makes it a little, little more confusing for us. Regretted, grieved, changing mind is one. Uh, taking an account, I believe, is another way it's put it. And what it really is, is, is God is not regretting the people, but He's regretting perhaps what it has become. Because God is just. And God knows that the evil nature of all these humans, that they were evil all the time, must come to an account. And He, he needs to go through the work of trying to, to balance the books, so to speak to try to keep that evil at bay. So he's not grieving the creation of people like we might think. He's grieving the evil that has overtaken the hearts of his people, the people that he had created good. God's mind is motivated motivated by his sense of justice. It's not this, this sense of anger, an angry God that's up there out to get you. He was realizing the scales were out of balance. The books were out of balance. That everyone is doing evil all the time. And it, it means he needs to bring them back into balance. And he finds one person on earth who's not worthy of destruction. He finds one person on earth who he has a relationship with and who he would call righteous one person on earth that would evade all of the destruction, one person in his family, Noah. One person was spared in his family while the rest of humanity paid for that account. This one person in his family really are, are giving us an education on how we were to live. Here's what the book of Hebrews says about Noah. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah believed God's warning. God, God came to Noah and, and gave Noah a warning about what was to come and what he was to do. And Noah believed God's warning of judgment that was to come and he trusted by faith. He trusted by faith that the Lord would keep him safe if he did exactly what he said, which was to build this large boat. Noah understood the character of his Creator the character of his creator, that God would do what he sets about to do, that God is going to do what he says, that you can take God at his word. There was no light 
undertaking. It wasn't just going to be some easy task that was going to be created in one day. If Noah was looking for instant gratification, that was not going to be the case. Because a boat that size was going to take time. More significantly, earth had never experienced a a deluge, a, a flood of that size ever before. And all Noah had to go on was God's Word. That that a flood was coming, that judgment was coming, and this was the only way to be saved. Noah, if you look at the situation, really had no reason to believe God. They hadn't experienced anything like it before. Why would it come now? The world hadn't operated that way, that there was a flood. But he trusts. And he builds day after day. And and no, there's not any neighbors that come by in Scripture that we know of that, that point and laugh at this big structure that Noah's creating. But the rain does come. Forty days and forty nights, the family would experience a trial of of rain and lightning and torrential downpour and waves crashing and waters rising. The word to describe this flood uh, in Akkadian, which is uh, another language that was uh, at this time that the Um, we believe the Old Testament, the first five books were written, is Mabul. And it's the word for a a cosmic flood. There's an aspect of divinity that's in the word that they use to describe the flood. That It's a a flood that's a, a weapon of destruction of the gods. Akkadians, the the language of the ancient Mesopotamian nations. And and so the the word here that's used for flood is of a similar vein, even though this is Hebrew. It's a a cosmic flood. That's why we say the whole world was covered. Even Scripture says that would cover. The ark, though, would stay in the water for longer than 40 days. The Jesus Storybook Bible says, well, it's 40 days and 40 nights, and they let out a dove, and shortly after, bada-bing, bada-boom, there's an olive tree branch. But it was a little longer than that. Noah and his family went in a week before the rain started. In Genesis 7.24, it says, the waters prevailed on earth for 150 days, and then they abated or receded from the earth for another 150 days. Chapter 8, verse 6 says, They waited 40 days and then sent out the dove, and then they waited another seven days and then another seven days. And if you add it all up, it's a little longer than 40 days and 40 nights. They were quarantined, you could perhaps say. A little longer than 40 days or the four months, but maybe about the better part of a year on a boat with a bunch of animals 
because that was God's plan. A plan of safety, a plan that God had promised that, that He would save His people. He would save Noah, Shem, Japheth, all of them. And then once they do finally get out after a better part of a year on a boat, what does, God, what does Noah do? Noah praises God and he offers sacrifices of the clean animals. The, if you notice, uh, look back later, as the animals come on, there are seven pairs of clean animals brought on the boat and two pairs of the unclean animals. So don't worry, there would be animals to spare, I guess you could say, to offer to God as a sacrifice, a thanksgiving offering that what God said actually happened. That what He said would, would come about that they would be saved would be the truth. Noah's trust and his faith motivated his actions and it revealed him as the heir of righteousness that comes by faith, the book of Hebrews says. His actions proved his trust in the Lord's Word that, and on account of that trust that Noah had in God's Word, God regarded Noah as a righteous man, which is pretty amazing. It's interesting to think about this story and the other one that's alluded to in the Jesus Storybook Bible, the, the one that will come later. In this story, one person is saved and the rest of humanity is punished. But in the story that was to come, the promised story where God's war bow is pointed up, that story is flipped on its head where, where one person is punished and humanity is saved. By faith, Noah received the gift of life by trusting in God's Word. By, by trusting that he would be saved if he built a boat and he put all of his family in there and that the animals would come. And by faith, we receive the gift of life by trusting and having faith in God and His Word. The Rescuer. The Word. Jesus Christ. This faith that Noah lives and that which we live is not just some general religious attitude in life. It's not just belief in difficult times. But faith, it's the hearing and believing of the promises of God that the world's Creator is also the world's Redeemer. That a righteous person named Jesus would, would come into humanity and take upon all of that evil and that wrath, all of that for humanity to be saved and for God to be able to call each of us a child that God would be able to look at each of us and say about us the same thing He said about Noah. That we are a righteous 
person. And it's not because of all of the things that we have done, but it's Christ's righteousness which is given to us. It was a grace to Noah that he was saved. It was a grace to him. And and he really didn't have much control over what was going on because even in the construction of this large boat, there was no rudder. There was no way for Noah to control what was going on and to be able to put things in the way that he wanted them. Instead, there was an entire trust that God was the one going to keep them safe. They weren't able to to use the rudder to to miss large waves that were going to hit the bow or the stern. In the same way, we need to trust God. That it's all His action. It's all His doing. It's the only way for us to be saved. No one needed to believe something that he hadn't yet experienced and couldn't see. He couldn't put a finger on it. And we too need to believe that something is coming that we have not experienced and that we don't know much about it. The judgment of humanity that's spoken of in Scripture. The new creation that God says He's going to bring about. None of it we've seen, but we trust and we have faith in His Word. But I think Noah says, Noah shows us that faith is more than just believing the right things. It's, it's living the right way because you believe the right things. The things that we believe should cause us to live in a different way. That's why he built the ark in the first place. And, and we need to be okay with with God rearranging our entire person, our entire body, our entire mind, transforming it. Because that's what He's going to do. I'm sure Noah's life looked a lot different after God came to him and said, there's a flood coming. I want you to build a boat that's 400 feet long. I'm sure his life was rearranged. His whole family's life was rearranged. His, his kids were probably doing something different that next day. And, and he himself was probably doing something different next day. And I think maybe, maybe that's why we like to insert thinking about Noah's neighbors. Because we know when, when perhaps we live differently or we do something different here on this world that people will often, often, I'm probably off camera. I got a note about that last time. Often uh, say something to us, well, that's weird. Or, or, or maybe they'll think differently of us because we're doing something that's seen as odd. And so we want to project that into Scripture. We want to say, well, I'm sure Noah's neighbors were like, what are you doing? Because the world perhaps comes in and and wants to question the way that you live and question what is perhaps motivating you, what you're doing. And in the same way, that's happening in our lives. Perhaps people question why you even come to church, why you believe in God, why you send kids to 
Christian school, why you have kids come on Wednesday night to, to learn about the Bible. People question. They question when God starts transforming your life and making it look different. When, when you used to live a different way and, and you didn't care how much alcohol you drank or you didn't care whether or not you used drugs or you didn't care how you spent your money or used your time on Sunday, but then God started rearranging your life to where you desired to worship Him on Sunday. And so you, you set that aside instead of going to the, the lake for the weekend. You, you made sure that you were able to, to worship Him. Instead of using all of, of your finances for yourself, you felt like, well, I should offer something back to God for what He has done in my life. Perhaps there's a, a change in thinking about the use of, of alcohol and other drugs that you're like, well, I don't want my mind to operate that way anymore. I don't want to, to, to put that in my life. God is calling me to live different. That's maybe one of the things that comes out. Those are some of the actions that might change, but there's probably something deep down inside of us where he starts even before that. Where God rearranges the things that we believe about him and the things that we believe about ourselves. Where he rearranges an idea of how could a a God that's in this world actually care about me? How could I measure up to His standards? And instead, He's going to change that thinking to tell you that I love you. God telling you that you matter, that the Creator of the world thinks the world of you. And there's different narratives in our brain that causes us to not understand that. Narrative that runs in my brain is, is failure. I wasn't the best high school student, um, partly because I would say I didn't try. I was a smart kid, and I could probably do it, but I, I didn't try. And, and I look back on that, and I realize that I was a failure, is what I would say. I didn't do what I what I actually could do. And, and so I, I spent the rest of my life saying, I'm going to prove to everyone that I interact with, if, if, if they don't think I can do something, I'm going to show them I can do it actually better than, than, than they think I could. I'm going I'm to show them. And so every area where I interact and I, I, I experience pain has to do with abilities and it often has to do with my own ability to do something and do something well to the perfect standard that I like to hold myself to. If we're going to start live streaming, I want to know where the camera is and I don't want to go off that. I want it to, to look nice. I want it to be able to experience by everyone at home well. If I'm, if I'm talking, I want to have my thoughts in a way where I don't have to look at notes and don't be tied to them at least. I think I see why one of my kids often wants to be really good at something the first time he tries. And when he can't get it right the first time, he doesn't want to do it. 
And so God takes that place where I began, where I want to prove to people my self-worth, and He starts rearranging that. Just like He rearranged Noah's life, and Noah was doing something different after he had an interaction with God. That instead of trying to prove things and do things on my own, in which I realized that the more I tried to do that, the less I actually gained and the more problems I saw and the more frustrated I became with myself. Instead, God changed it. Instead of where I'm, I'm exhausted and disappointed in who I am, God rearranged it and said, I love you for who you are. Where He says, you are a child of God. Do you know how much I love you and how much I am proud of you? I, I loved you so much that I want to save you from this work, this endless work that you seem to try trying to do on your own to, to try to make yourself better, to do the right things, to do all that. I, I know that you're imperfect. I know that you can't do everything on your own and I still love you. And God works in you and me to craft a heart of understanding of His love for us. A love that is a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever type of love. A type of love that would flip the script. Where instead of one person receiving the grace of life and all others perishing, that He would send one person. Send one person to experience all the evil, all the hate, all the pain, all the sadness, so that you and I can live. The power of God and, and the power of faith that God arises in us causes us to recognize that that the one who made the world thinks the world of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. The story of, of Noah and the flood. A story that points to a promise of not destroying the world again. Thank you for the book of Hebrews that shows us the faith that Noah had and the faith that, that God arises in us that we're invited into to trust Him and His Word. Jesus Christ. We pray that You would be able to work in us healing. Healing of those narratives that need to be rearranged and flipped upside down in our life those narratives that focus only on what we do and not what, on what Christ has done. Help us realize how much you truly love us. In Jesus' name that we pray.